This is the Moira Pentecostal Church podcast, providing you with sound biblical teaching. New content will be available every week throughout 2015. We hope you will be encouraged, challenged, and blessed by this ministry. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 13. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 13. Chapter 13 of Matthew is a a series of parables that Jesus is uh, speaking regarding the kingdom of heaven. There's about seven of them. And I just want to read uh, one of the very short ones, verse 44 only. So Matthew 13, verse 44. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field which a man found and hid, and for joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Read it again. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and hid, and for joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. (coughs) Treasures are often found in unexpected places, and in unusual circumstances. Many years ago, a little shepherd boy, he's walking and he sees a cave and he lifts up a rock and he throws it and he hears a clunk. And whenever they discovered that, what made that clunk, they found the greatest biblical scrolls was found in generations of 2,000-year-old Dead Sea Scrolls in that cave. So wonderful finds can be found in the most unusual places. Just off the North Antrim coast, the Girona Spanish galleon that had sunk just a few years ago was found and after hundreds of years yielded up its great treasures. A Rembrandt in an attic. A famous painting tucked away. Nobody knew it was there until somebody accidentally found it. A Ming vase, or vase of your posh, in a cellar, or a penny black stamp in a fly leaf of a book. Rare treasures indeed. And now in Matthew 13, Jesus is giving this series of parables about the kingdom of heaven, and this one particular one we read here is about a man who finds buried treasure in a field. And he goes out and he sells all that he had to purchase that field so that he could get the treasure. Now, in those days, of course, banks were quite rare. And uh, most people had nowhere in their homes to hide their precious things, so they'd do the next best thing. They'd put it in an earthen jar, they'd dig a hole somewhere in the field, they'd mark it some way, and they would bury it. Now, the trouble with that was that if they died and didn't tell anybody, nobody would know it was there. Or if they grew old and was forgetful, that they wouldn't even know it was there. Or perhaps maybe they killed in a war by bandits. And so it wasn't a very feel-safe idea, but it was the best they had. And evidently, this particular treasure was buried by someone that we do not know. For how long it lay there, we do not know. 
But we do know that this man, whoever he was, maybe he was a common laborer, maybe he was a hard help, perhaps he was digging the field, maybe to plant a tree or to uproot a boulder, but suddenly he hits hidden treasure. And he recognizes immediately that this is a big treasure trove. He had never seen the like of this in his life. And he knew exactly what he was going to do. He was going to go. He was going to sell everything he had, whatever it took to buy this field. Not that he was particularly caring about the field, but he had to get the field in order to get the treasure. He knew that it didn't belong to him. The field certainly didn't belong to him. But in those days... You know, it was a kind of situation in Israel where whoever found something, it was finders keepers. But however, if you work for somebody and you find it, then your employer could claim it because you were his agent working in that field. And so he decides, well, I found it. It's not my field. He certainly didn't want his employer to get it. So he went out and he sold everything he had in order to buy that particular field. Whatever that field would cost him, he knew, no matter how dear it was, how expensive he had to pay, he knew that treasure would far outweigh whatever he would have to pay. Now, we must be careful interpreting parables that we don't try to tease out the meaning of every little single detail. We need to get to the central purpose of what Jesus was trying to teach here. And what Jesus is trying to teach in this particular parable, because all these parables in Matthew 13 are about the kingdom, but in this particular one, he's talking about the worth of the kingdom, the value of the kingdom. What do we believe the kingdom is worth to us? How valuable is the kingdom of God to us tonight? And so Christ wants us to see that this man valued this treasure above all things. He must have it. No matter what the cost is going to be, he must get this treasure. Now, this is not talking about our salvation, by the way, because you cannot buy salvation. It's a free gift of God. He's teaching about the kingdom. This is about the blessings of the kingdom. This is about wanting the ways of the kingdom. It's about how valuable is the kingdom of heaven to us tonight. Is it our treasure? It is the most important thing in our lives, or it isn't. And Christ brings us to this. Would we sacrifice everything to live in this kingdom? Right now, right across the world in many lands... People are doing exactly that, sacrificing everything to be in this kingdom, even to the point of having to lay down their very lives. Now the world doesn't see any value in the kingdom. To them it is a loss. It's not a profit. It's gained to us, but it's simply lost to them. To the worldly-minded man, giving your life to the kingdom, giving your life to eternal things, going to church, living by the Bible, it's just a waste of time. It's not worth the effort, they say. But we know 
It's a great treasure. It's a wonderful treasure. They're only interested in the fields, this world, this day, here and now, no thought of eternity. Spiritual things means nothing to them. It leaves them cold or uninterested. But to us, it's a great treasure. 1 Corinthians 2.14, the natural man receives not the things of the Spirit of God. He can't understand them. Neither can he know them. 1 Corinthians 1.18, for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. How much do we value the kingdom tonight? Because we're part of it. Does it mean everything to us? If we had to, would we give her all for the kingdom? That's what God wants to know. Notice that the treasure was hidden in the field. It wasn't clearly seen. It wasn't something that was obvious. Sometimes we talk to people about the kingdom of God. We don't use that term, but that's what we're talking about. And they don't get it. They just do not understand it. What's plain and simple to us is mysterious and strange to them. What's precious to us means nothing to them. Why? Because the God of this world, Paul says, has blinded the minds of those that believe not lest the light of the gospel of Christ should shine in them. This man wasn't actually looking for treasure. He was just busy digging in the field. And suddenly there came this life-changing moment. What would be the chances of that man that day digging in that particular spot where that fortune was buried? The world would say, well, that was just good luck. That was good fortune. That was chance. That was happenstance. What would be the chances of you and I discovering the kingdom of God? That's providence. That's the omniscient God working on our behalf. For years, many of us, we went through life with not a thought about it, not a care about it, weren't interested, and then suddenly we found the kingdom of God. We found a treasure that was beyond our imagination. God wants us to find his kingdom, his blessings, his purposes. He wants us to discover his ways. He wants us to discover the things that are of true value, of true worth, not this temporal fleeting things of this world that are here today and are gone tomorrow. Notice also that when this man found this treasure, he found joy. Who for joy went and sold all that he had. Of course, if somebody won the lotto tomorrow and they won 20 million, there would be immediate joy. <laughs> oh, they would be on TV, there'd be a big smile from ear to ear, wouldn't they? I mean, they would just quit work tomorrow because they're multi-millionaire now. But often that doesn't last. Sure, it doesn't. But the joy that the kingdom of God brings is different. It's entirely different. It's not dependent on happenings. Happiness often is dependent on happenings, but the joy of the Lord is very, very different. The world doesn't think so. The world thinks that 
the kingdom of God is boring and dull. The thought of going to church twice on Sunday. Well, I thought of some Christians going to church twice on Sunday is a problem too, by the way. Well, don't go there, David. You'll only upset yourself. <laughs> but they say it must be miserable to be a believer. There's no fun in being a Christian, they say. In fact, you hear the odd person saying, when I die, I don't want to go to heaven. I want to go to hell because that's where the parties will be. I don't want to go to that boring place called heaven. All those good living people. <laughs> There'll be no parties in hell, by the way. There'll be utter darkness and weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth, Jesus said. Thank God for his kingdom. Aren't you glad you're part of it tonight? Romans 14, 17, the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking. It's not externals, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Now, I have to admit that very often we don't see a big lot of joy. I have to admit that oftentimes when you go through difficulties, you don't sense much joy in your life, but it's part of the kingdom of God. And we all need a bit of joy, don't we? Huh? we all, I, I've told you this umpteen times, but every time I think about this, I think about Billy Braniff. We Billy Braniff was a wee brother and Christian I worked with. And he was the happiest, most joyful believer I ever met before or since. He used to bother everybody because he came into work and he was so full of joy, it annoyed you. <laughs> That's the truth. And it wasn't that he was putting it on. He was always like that, always. And the unbelievers used to scratch their head. You know, I used to work night shifts and you had to start 11 o'clock on Sunday night. You know, and, and you had been to church all of that Sunday, two services and all the rest of it, and you, and you were tired and you were weary, and you thought, oh, it's Sunday night, I have to do this night shift. And he would come in, boy, he was just, oh, he was just up there somewhere. Because he had the joy of the Lord. Tell you, we coveted that. He used to ask him what his secret was. <laughs> he says, I just love the Lord, he says. I love the Lord. And he did. He was full of the joy of the Lord. Matthew 25, 21, Jesus said, Enter you into the joy of your Lord. What a, what a wonderful day that will be. Luke 15 and 7, There is joy in heaven over one sinner that repents. Heaven is full of joy. It's the most joyful place in the universe. John 15, 11, Jesus said, That my joy may remain in you, and that your joy may be full. Hmm. John 17, 13, he prays that they may have my joy. Galatians 5, 22, fruit of the Spirit is joy. Peter talks about inexpressible joy. He talks about exceeding joy. Psalm 16, 11, in your presence there is fullness of joy, and at your right hand there is pleasure forevermore. Glory to God. You know, there's time to time. Maybe Billy Braniff is the exception, but there's from time to time, there's a bit of that joy bubbles up in your heart, isn't it? Maybe you're driving along the road or you're thinking and suddenly 
There's a feeling of joy in your heart. I'm part of God's kingdom. I'm God's child. I'm saved. I'm born again. I'm washed in the blood. I'm filled with the Spirit. And and there's just a joy in your heart, the thought of that. See too that this man, when he found treasure, he hid it again until he could buy the field. He could have stole it. He could have just dug it up, took it away, and stole it. But you say it wasn't his field, so therefore it wasn't his treasure. Already said in those days it was finder keepers. So, in his mind, he did the next best thing. To be absolutely sure, he went out and he bought the field. You say, David, but there's still a wee bit of bit of grey area there, isn't there? But Jesus is not teaching about ethics and morality here. The one thing he wants to get through to us is that this man, no matter what it costs, any price he has to pay, he will pay it to buy this field to get this treasure. So he's not trying an ethical thing or a morality thing. He's just simply saying, that's why you can't make every, every detail in a parable. He's simply saying, here's the thrust of it. Are you willing to give your all for the kingdom of God? Are you? Do you value it that much? Is it that important in your life that you will go out if you have to, and sell everything to get the kingdom. That's what he's trying to teach us. So he goes and sells, he buys that field. No price is too high, no cost is too great. He must have it. What would you be willing to give up for the kingdom of heaven? What would it be? He may not ask you to give up your job, your career, your business but to be something that's important to you, would you be willing to give it up to lay it down because the kingdom is more valuable to you? (coughs) You would rather have the kingdom than anything on earth. And sometimes that's a challenge to us. Sometimes that really, really confronts us. really does. We don't think that things have got a hold on us as Christians, but often they do. And it's only when the Lord challenges us then we realize how big a hold it has on us because there's a struggle to lay it aside. But Jesus is saying here, how important is my kingdom to you? How valuable is it? How badly do you want everything in the kingdom? All the blessings, all the purposes, all my ways. Eric Little who was immortalized by that 1981 film, Chariots of Fire. Eric Little was a Scotsman, although he was born in China to missionary parents. And he and his older brother came back to Britain when he was about six years old to boarding school for missionary sons and daughters. And he did very well. He was quite academic, very athletic, And as he grew up in the school system, he became very, very good at all kinds of sports. He was the captain of his cricket club. He was captain of his rugby club, his rugby team. In fact, he ended up so good at rugby that he ended up in rugby union. And seven out of eight 
five nations, he played in them and he scored several tries. So he really, really was an athlete. But the thing that he really excelled in above all of that was running. He was a brilliant runner. And he ran, ran many races and won many races. He was so good that he was chosen as one of the Olympic hopefuls in the 1924 Paris Olympics. And his three races would be the 100 yards, it was in Britain at that time, the 220 yards and the 420 yards. And the 100 yards was his favorite race. In fact, they held the record in Britain for that. And it wasn't broken for some like 23 years. So he was really, really good at that. The trouble was when it came to the Olympics in Paris, he, and he knew this in advance, that his race would be on a Sunday. And because of his Christian convictions, he says, no, I won't race on a Sunday. And everybody thought, you are so foolish. What an opportunity for you to win this and show how great you are and get a medal for yourself and for your nation. Sure, it's only on a Sunday and it's only one race. But he says, no, I will not do that. You see, he valued the kingdom above all things. And so he didn't. But knowing that was coming up for months, he trained harder and harder and harder for the 400 meter, because it was in France, 400 meter race. And he had to train really, really hard because even though he was decent at it, his track record on it was moderate. So his chances of winning the 400 meter race was certainly way, way below winning the 100 meter race. It was almost a certainty to won that. But he says no to that because it was a Sunday. And so, when it came race day for the 400 meter race, just before the off, one of the American team members came up and pressed a piece of paper in his hand and written on it was that verse from Samuel. They that honor me, them will I honor. They that honor me, them will I honor. And that gave him a great encouragement. He ran that race. Not only did he break his own record, he broke the Olympic record, and he broke the world record, and he got his gold medal. Hmm. He went on to win the bronze medal in the 200, by the way, too. But he got his gold medal against all the odds because the kingdom was more important to him than any medal because he had a principle and he wouldn't do it for anybody he wouldn't accept it and he won that race do you know one year later he went back to China as a missionary he gave all of that up all the fame all the adulation all that could have been on the heels of that goal he gave all of that up and he went become missionary teacher in China and ended up in a Japanese civilian internment camp and he died at the age of just 43. No wonder they immortalized him in chariots of fire because he put the kingdom first. Michael Faraday Michael Faraday was one of the great British scientists 
the field of electromagnetism, electrochemistry, great discoverer of magnetic fields and all the rest of it. Uh, the Royal Institution uh, put on, particularly near Christmas time, they put on these talks, and he did about 18 or 19 of them, where the room would be filled with people, and he would take uh, some of his, his great ideas and experiments and, and inventions, and he would break it into simple terms and show them how it happened, how it was done. It became very famous. In fact, they're still on just before Christmas every year to this day. And uh, there was one occasion, uh, not at the Royal Institution, but one occasion uh, he was asked to, uh, to do something similar. And all the uh, big names were there, including uh, the Prince of Wales, who would later become, I think it was Edward VII. He was there. And industrialists and, and all these big names were all there. And so he, he wowed them with his skill and with his, his experiments. They were fascinated. And at the end of it, they all stood up to a man, including the prince, and they gave him a standing ovation. And he took his bow and he went behind the curtain. And then the prince of Wales, he made a motion that, that he should come back again so that they could give him another ovation. And they shouted for him to come back. But what they didn't know was he wasn't coming back. In fact, by that time, he was out the door and he was heading to the little church where he was an elder because the prayer meeting had already started. And he had a meeting with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And the Prince of Wales or anybody else wasn't going to stop him from going to that prayer meeting because he valued the kingdom above all things. 200 years later, they put him in the back of the 20-pound note. It took a long time for them to come to that decision. I remember looking at the 20-pound note at the back of it, and there he was, giving his lecture, <laughs> being honored. Imagine a man who valued the kingdom above all things, even getting an honor in this world. Hmm. So what does the kingdom mean to you tonight? What is it worth? What's its value? All that it encompasses. Here we are tonight, born again of God's Spirit, washed in the blood of the Lamb. Names are written in the book of life. What's that worth to us? Here we are tonight, we've got the church We've got the strength and the encouragement of our brothers and sisters in Christ. What is that worth to you? Here we are tonight with various callings of God in our lives. What is that worth to you? What does the kingdom, what is its value <coughs> to you and to me tonight? That's what that little parable is about. To that man, Jesus said, whatever it cost, he was going to pay it. Whatever it took, he was going to do it. And if we're ever going to do anything for the kingdom, that's the attitude that we have to have. Whatever it takes, whatever it costs, we're going to do it. 
because we value God's kingdom. Amen? Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you that we are part of your great kingdom tonight. You have brought us into this kingdom for a purpose. Lord, help us to understand it, to desire it more, to know it better, to embrace all that it embraces. Thank you, Lord, for all that it encompasses in our lives tonight. And so we bless you, Lord. We thank you that you challenge us to do whatever is necessary to be a follower of you and to live in this kingdom. Lord, we know that the world doesn't understand us, doesn't grasp what we're trying to do and say. But Lord, we're going to continue to do it anyway. Lord, you've called us to it and we give you thanks for it. So Lord, as we go out into this working week, Lord, we go to our jobs tomorrow, we go to our homes, we go to our neighborhoods, but we're kingdom people. We're different. We live in this world, but we're not of this world. We live in the kingdom of this world, but we're not of the kingdom of this world. We're of a different kingdom with different rules and different principles and different ways. God's ways. So help us to walk that walk. Help us to glorify Jesus Christ, your son, to lift him up in our lives by our words or deeds or actions. And we give him the glory. Thank you, Lord, for saving our souls tonight, making us fit for your heaven. We did not deserve it, but that was your grace and mercy. And we thank you for that tonight. So, Lord, would you bless us as we go out into this working week? Pray your protection over your people. Pray your hand of favor to be upon them. Pray, Lord, for young David tomorrow morning as he goes to that operating theater. Lord, that your hand of mercy will touch him. Lord, that you'll guide those surgeons skillfully. Lord, that they'll do a great job. Lord, that he'll come to full health again in the name of Jesus. So we bless you and we give you thanks tonight. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. You can also watch the Sermon of the Month video at youtube.com forward slash Moira Pentecostal or download the sermon video through our iTunes video podcast. For more information, visit us at www.mpc.org.uk. Thank you.